0: All right, well, Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be this evening as we're continuing our study through this book of the Bible on Wednesday evenings. And it's been a few Wednesdays since we've been in here, so let me just remind you again of the overall bird's eye view, if you will, of this little book of the Bible, all right? So keep in mind, please keep in mind that Paul is writing to the churches in the region of Galatia. But he's doing so for this purpose. Remember, there are false teachers or had been false teachers that have begun to creep into this region and in these churches here in Galatia and begin to preach a false gospel. And it was a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. They were adding rituals and rules in order for, for people to be saved. And so in teaching this false gospel of works, these uh, False teachers were perverting the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and in turn causing great chaos in the hearts and minds of God's people. So with all that in mind, all that going on, Paul lovingly but yet very sternly picks up his pen and declares once again and defends once again the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ plus nothing minus Nothing. He lets it be known that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus and not by the works of the law. He made that declaration in Galatians 2.16 when he says, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So never forget. Never forget that salvation is God's free gift to us, given by grace and accepted by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget it. All right. Never forget it. And don't, any, don't let anybody else persuade you otherwise. Let God be true and every man a liar, all right? I'm thankful that we have salvation through Jesus Christ and Him alone. So let's continue on our study together in Galatians chapter 5. And we'll be uh, reading verses 1 through 6. We, we did, the last time we, we, we were in here, we, we stayed mainly in verse number 1, but we're going to be in verse 2 through 6. Uh, primarily this evening, all right? And, and uh, as you come here, just keep in mind that Paul is transitioning a little bit. He's going from his arguments he has presented in the past several chapters, uh, arguments he's presented for the gospel, to go now making more application. So he's going from, from more of uh, the arguments and the allegories to application in uh, this chapter and the chapter to follow. All right, so let's look at it with together to, uh, with me together here in Galatians chapter five, and we'll start. We'll start in verse number one. Okay, let's look at it. The Bible says, "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage." Behold, I Paul say unto you that if you be circumcised Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, for you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that there is simplicity in Christ and that you made salvation available and free for all. It's by your grace and it's through faith, trust, confidence, through faith in you. And Lord, we just want to stop and pause before we go any further and simply say thank you. Thank you for so great a salvation. We love you. And I do pray to help us to understand the scripture this evening, help me to preach it, to teach it, to be an encouragement and a help. Because Lord, without you, I know I can do nothing. So we rest and trust in you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we march uh, verse by verse through this book and this chapter here, the first thing I'd like for us to consider as uh, Paul is making an application here from all the instruction and arguments he has presented in the previous four chapters, he makes this application, all right? He is saying, if you follow the law, then you will do this. Here it is, number one, you will devalue Christ and the gospel. You will devalue Christ. Look at verse number two again. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, as we read this, Paul, as he's writing here, we notice he goes straight for the battleground. All right? Uh, straight for the battleground of this outward traditional ritual that uh, is being pushed by these false teachers and by the Judaizers upon the Gentile churches here in Galatia, and that is this battleground. It's the battleground of circumcision, all right? Now, this is a big one, okay? A big battleground during this time frame for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentile, but mainly for the Jewish people. Now, you got to keep in mind... And I think it'll help gain some perspective on this uh, battleground or on this verse and on the matter at hand, all right? But keep in mind that uh, the act of circumcision was the seal of the uh, Abrahamic covenant. And you can find that covenant, if you want to make a mark in your Bible there in the margin of your Bible, you can find that covenant in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. But uh, it is there that, that Abraham, or God made a covenant with Abraham. And uh, the Jewish people held this high and high regard of circumcision. And they would have considered it more of a holy act. And they would have believed that it set them apart from the rest of the world. And even if a Jewish man was uncircumcised, they would consider him to be cut off from his own people. You can sit in Genesis 17 and verse 14, like an outcast type of thing. So understand for the Jewish mind, this was a big deal. It was, it was a big battleground area uh, for them. This was the hill they would die on, so to speak. Uh, then as you read on in the book of the law, you can even find that Moses would confirm this as a necessary act for all strangers, meaning Gentiles, those who were not Jewish but were becoming proselytized, especially if they wanted to share in the religious blessing. Of Israel, and that is of the Passover. You can see that in Exodus chapter twelve and verse forty-eight. Because any Gentile that wanted to partake in this uh, feast or in the Passover, they had to be, they had to be circumcised, or they would not be able to do so. So understand, understand this right here is a big deal for the Jewish Jewish mind. Now, fast forward to the first century. All right, fast forward to the first century during the time of Christ, the Gentiles would have been looked down upon because they were not. And even the Gentiles themselves would have looked upon this ritual with some kind of scorn. And it may have been even a stumbling block in many ways for uh, some of these Gentile individuals if they wanted to be proselytized, if they wanted to uh, come to, the, to, the, uh, to the, the Jews' God, it could have been a stumbling block in, in many ways, actually becoming Jewish proselytes. So keep all that in mind. So as Paul is coming to this area, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the one true God, uh, just, just as the Jews had a monotheistic God, the Gentiles, pagan world had many gods, of course. But he comes preaching the one true God. He comes preaching the one true gospel, preaching that salvation is by grace through faith and saying things like this. He said this to a Jewish jailer, or I'm sorry, a Gentile jailer, when he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then later on, he'll write to the Romans that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I understand, Paul was preaching a simple gospel message, a simple way of salvation, and it was by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, this meant that there was no need whatsoever for the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. So, this would have been, um, or made the gospel that Paul preached uh, even more attractive to the Gentile world. Uh, Even to these individuals. Meaning there's no rules, no rituals that must be performed in order to be saved. So no wonder, as Paul came preaching the gospel, many Gentile men in the region of Galatia came to faith in Christ and they flocked to the church. But understand these false teachers went to those same churches. And they would flock to the church too. But not to preach the same gospel as Paul, but rather preach another gospel. Preaching another gospel of adding rituals and rules to the gospel they've already heard of Jesus Christ, and they'll be telling telling these individuals that Paul was wrong, and you still need to be circumcised in order to truly be right with God. Because without that, there's no way you can come and be part of God's family. So keep all that real quick in a context that uh, context in mind. All right, and so as you read this verse, let's read it again. Verse number two: Behold, I, Paul, saying to you that if you be circumcised. Christ shall profit you nothing. It would seem with all that context in mind, it would seem as if Paul right now is completely attacking circumcision, completely attacking uh, this, this matter here, that he was completely against it, that he's condemning the act entirely, but that's not what he's doing. It would seem so, but that's not what he's doing. You see, he's not going to one extreme from the other extreme of the Judaizers. And saying, if you have been circumcised, you cannot truly be saved. He is not doing that. Besides, you can read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, where it's there, Paul encouraged his young son in the faith, Timothy, to himself be circumcised, which I found interesting. Many believe that, that uh, when he first met Timothy and, and uh, all, all that was done was in the region of Galatia. I found that kind of interesting. That's what many believe. But nonetheless, here's what Paul said, or the Bible says that Paul did. In Acts 16, verse 1 through 3, "...then came he to Derbe in Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and took, and circumcised him because of the Jews, which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek." So understand, Paul is not saying he's against this. No, he was actually for this, but not the way they were teaching it. Not the way they were teaching it. And besides, he had Timothy uh, done this way so his his ministry could be broader, so he could could help reach the Jews as well as the Gentiles, seeing Timothy himself was half Jewish, half Gentile, all right? But back to the text here, Paul was saying again in verse number two, if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. When he says that, He's not stating that he is against it. Rather, he is stating the fact that he is strongly against how the Judaizers are teaching him. He is strongly against their theology, which demanded that circumcision was necessary for salvation. That's what he was against, and against that very strongly. And anyone who would be circumcised for that reason as far as gaining salvation, here's what they were doing. Listen. They were adding their work, their work, what they're doing, their work to the work of Christ. They were adding their work to the gospel. They were adding their work to the faith. They were adding their work to the grace of God. Because I understand circumcision would have been a voluntary act, and it would have been done, uh, it would have been this way. If someone had taught them about that, then they would have to have believed it and submitted themselves to that. I like what one commentator said about it. On the matter of being circumcised in order to be saved over trusting Jesus by faith alone, he says this, a case has to be made, a decision has to be reached, and a surrender has to be accepted. An operation has to be performed, and in a Gentile world of Paul's day, a stigma had to be accepted. The implication is that for a Gentile convert to accept circumcision means that he has, been, that he has thought about the, and th- thought about the choice he has just recently made. Paul wants his Galatian friends to understand the seriousness of his choice. It is the choice of law over grace, of works over faith, of a legal system over a living Savior. So understand, if they added this work or any work for that matter to Christ, then they are not adding value to the gospel. Rather, they are trying to cheapen it. They're devaluing Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're taking away from that. I... um, had every intention this evening to bring a um, visual lesson on this. And I forgot it at the house. Anybody ever forget? Ever? Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone. But I have two silver coins I was going to bring, so I'll just explain it, all right? But I have two silver coins. They look exactly alike, but they're completely different. They're both very shiny, both, both very polished, both very, very clean and clear. And uh, if you just face value, you couldn't tell the difference. But one has value, and the other one does not. The one that does not have value is because it's mixed with other stuff, other lesser valuable metal. And therefore it's not as valuable as the other. The same is what they're trying to do here. As Paul is writing to them, if they add their rituals and rules and tradition to the pure gospel of Christ, to this finished work, then no matter how fancy and shiny and religious their works may be, they're still no value there they're rather devaluing what christ has already already done because it's their work and not his look at verse number two behold i paul saying to you that if ye be circumcised christ shall profit you nothing there's no value in what you're doing you're devaluing christ now as he's saying these words and the words we want to read on listen i want you to understand something. these are pretty strong They really are. The language he's using is a very strong language, very strong stance, and no doubt, it'd be very heavy to read and accept. For those that believe they they are saved because they have done this uh, ritual and rule, for Paul to say, ain't no way you're saved. Listen, that's very strong and pointed language. But Paul needed to let them know who was saying this and who was writing to them. He let it be known again in verse number two that it was I, Paul, saying it. It was Paul the Apostle. It was Paul, their apostle. Remember, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. That's right, to the Gentiles. He was their apostle. He was their sent one to preach the gospel to them. He, he was the apostle, their, their friend, their preacher, the very one who has his own life to bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. This type of language, this pointed stance Comes from this man who cares and loves them dearly, not from a man who hated them or wanted something, wanted nothing but bad for them. That's not where Paul was coming from. But he loved the Lord, he loved them, he wanted them to know the truth because truth mattered to Paul and it should matter to us as well. It matters. So he wants them to know whose is coming from. It comes from him. And he's basically saying, listen, if you're seeking heaven through religious activity and different rites, you will not make it. No, because Christ shall profit you nothing. You are devaluing him. You must come and trust Christ and him alone. So we see that uh, through this act and ritual, they're devaluing what Christ has done for them. And then we see this. If they follow the law, then they will be a debtor. Number two, a debtor to the whole law. Look at verse number three. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, Paul is once again letting them know if you're going to follow some of the aspects of a law, such as, again, this uh, act of circumcision, which is, is being pushed by the Judaizers. Uh, if, you, if you try to search this word out, I think you'll find it some 10 or 12 times um, in the, the book of Galatians alone, word circumcision, all right? So that was the battleground uh, stance there. That was the hill to die on for these folks. And I got to thinking about it. Why was it such a big deal to them? Well, it's kind of the only way how they could measure their religious success, especially if they were trying or having to report back to their headquarters, back to Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting. And so maybe it could be like this, writing back to their brethren back in Jerusalem saying, all right, we had uh, 12 circumcised this past Sunday. Praise the Lord. You know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking, using my imagination, all right? It commonly are people today, as churches report back and forth, like, oh, how many did you have baptized this past year? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, it's kind of interesting that that's the main deal. That's, that's the kicker, all right, that they're, that they're stuck on. But, but anyway, he was saying, listen, if you're going to follow some of the aspects of the law, then you're going to have to follow, listen, all of it. You can't just pick and choose which ones you're going to follow, which ones you're going to obey, which ones you're going to do. No, if you're going to do one, you're going to do them all because you're going to be a debtor to all the law. Look at verse, verse 3 again. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole the whole law. Now, we know that debt can be can be uh, a bad thing, right? There is such thing called good debt, all right, but there is such a thing, more often than not, called bad debt, especially when it's something you know you cannot pay for, or or nor could afford. Yet you try to anyway. Listen, that's bad debt. You're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble, like trying to go out here and buy a $100,000 bass boat. That's going to get you in a lot of trouble, especially with your wife, all right? But anyway, don't do it. I know they'll finance that thing just like they would a house, but still, don't do it, all right? But uh, you'll get yourself in trouble. But we won't, and we want instant gratification, but we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. There is such a thing as bad debt, but it's that type of bad debt. That will leave you stressed out That end up being depressed over and looming over your head. And really, it's like a condemnation just looming upon your head. Because you know there's no way you're going to be able to pay that back. And Uncle Joe ain't going to bail you out, all right? But there's just no way. Well, it's that same kind of feeling when it comes to trying to pay the debt of the demands of a law. That's the same type of thing. The condemnation looms over your head as as the demand of a law is this, perfection. And we know that none of us can do that. There's no person here that can be perfect. None of us can be that way. Do you know how many laws there are in the Old Testament? How many commands? Some may say 10. You're wrong, all right? 613. 613, at least that's what I understand. No, I've not sat down and counted them today, all right? But uh, I have to take some folks' word for it. But still, let's just say over 600. I think everybody can agree to that. But the Ten Commandments are, are, more, are more like your main points with a bunch of sub-points underneath them, about 600 of them. Now, to obtain perfection through the law, as the Judaizers will want you to, you've got to keep them all. Not just one or two. Not just the ones that are seen by others. Not just the ones that you want to pick and choose or cherry pick type of thing. No, no, no. You've got to keep them all. But I'm going to tell you, it's impossible. It's impossible. Even Adam and Eve had one command and they lived in paradise. And guess what happened? They couldn't do it. So you can't keep 600. There's no way. It just won't happen. There's a debt to be paid. And by the way, God knows this, and I'm glad he does. I'm glad he knows that we cannot, we cannot live up to the perfection that the law demands. And by the way, the law was not given for us to be righteous or become righteous. Rather, it was to show how unrighteous we really are. We looked at that point as we considered Galatians chapter three a month or so ago. But let me remind you of this verse in Galatians chapter three, verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That's what the law's purpose was. It wasn't to save us, but rather to point us to a Savior. Because there's just no way that we could ever be good enough or do good enough. We could not never satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. There's just no way. Therefore, the law should do this. It should bring us to Christ and show us our need of, of Jesus. And this is the whole point. The whole point that Paul was trying to get across to the Galatians that Jesus, that Jesus is enough. What you're doing and have done, that's not going to get it. That's not going to cut it. But no, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus, he is enough. And he, listen, the reason he is enough because he paid the debt that we could never pay. He paid it. And by the way, he paid it on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And that word, it is finished, is a Greek word, testelestai. It means to finish, to complete. It means this, to pay in full. When Jesus said, it is finished, he paid in full your sin debt and mine that we owed. He paid it all through his death, by his blood, his burial, his resurrection. And because he paid it all, Hebrews 7.25 says he, that's Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. I love that word uttermost. I've heard preachers uh, say, uh, God saved me from the guttermost to the uttermost. I like it. Uh, But I love that word uttermost. You know what it means? It means completely, perfectly. Jesus has completely through and through When you come to him, by faith saved you perfectly. He has saved you. He has saved you. Not because, again, what you have done or what I have done, but because of what he has done. He paid it all for you and for me, and we can come to him by faith. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we can. I'm so thankful. All right, let's move on. So we see here, they're kind of devaluing what Christ has done. And we see here, if they continue to do that, they want to follow the law, well, you're going to be a debtor to the whole thing. And then we see this, number three. I want to look at it with me in verse number four. The Bible says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now, I want you to know from the very beginning, there are some folks who will try to take this verse and tell you That as a believer, you yourself can lose your salvation. I'm going to tell you that is a lie. That is not Bible theology. All right, please understand that. So from the very get-go, I want you to know, you cannot lose your salvation. When it says you're falling from grace here, this does not mean that as a Christian, you lose your salvation. You cannot do that. When it comes to these verses, that may seem a little bit harder to understand. What we need to do, really, with all of them, but especially with verses like this, we need to compare Scripture with Scripture. All right? Please do that. I promise you, you'll find far more verses to stand upon and prove the point that once saved, always saved, or eternal security, or eternal life, is how I like to say it, because that's the Bible word for it, is there. All right? Proves it over and over. Let me read just a few of them for you. John chapter 3 and verse 16. You know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3:36. Uh, 336, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. That's in the present tense. As John six forty-seven. verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. 1 John five thirteen. these things thou are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life that you may believe in the name of the Son of God. Here's the the one that I always go to when someone asks me about the doctrine of eternal security. John chapter 10, verse 28 through 29, Jesus speaking. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. It can't get much plainer than that. So when folks say, listen, you can fall from grace, you can lose your salvation, take them straight to the word of God and tell them what Jesus said about it, all right? Take Jesus' word on it and not some false teacher's word on it amen all right thank you very much so it's very plain from the bible that once a person has accepted christ as their savior they have currently presently eternal life and they cannot lose eternal life when is eternal life stop becoming eternal that's right never it's eternal life so what does it mean here when it says you're fallen from grace what does that mean well again context is key right Context, context, context. Every text has a context. Context is key. Keep in mind, Paul, in the context, is referring to those who are seeking to be justified by the works of the law. They're seeking salvation by keeping the law. Look again at verse four. Christ has become of, none of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Seeking to be justified by The law. So it would seem that some of the Galatians have accepted circumcision as the necessary element for complete salvation. And in doing so, they'll be leaving, listen, leaving the grace system for the law system. That's what they're doing. Therefore, these Galatians that are seeking to be justified by their works, here's what they're doing they're rejecting grace. Uh, they're, they're, they're shunning the grace of, of Jesus and they're seeking lesser means of, of obtaining salvation. So when Paul speaks of falling from grace here, he's not speaking of losing salvation because those individuals have not been saved at all. Because they're not seeking salvation through Christ, but through their own merit, their own works, and their own way, outside of the grace of Of Jesus Christ. And by the way, there is no salvation outside of the grace of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. The Bible's plain on this. There is no other way. And Paul once again makes that very clear quickly. Look at verse number 5 and 6. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. But here it is. But faith, which worketh by love. He's making it plain again that it's not circumcision. It's not your works. It's not works of the law. It's not anything you can do or I can do. No, no, no. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. He makes it so plain. in that last point as he declares salvation is by faith. That's in faith. It's by faith in Jesus. In Jesus Christ. So he's making it very plain. But He's he's talking about this big battlefield here, this mountain or, or hill they're going to die on, but that's not where salvation is. It's found in Jesus Christ. And anything else outside of Christ is no salvation, no salvation at all. And Paul just simply wanted to remind us again of our wonderful gift that we have in Christ, the gift of salvation, that it's by grace through faith. In Him alone. So let these uh, let these verses, let this book, um, help solidify your salvation in Christ alone. All right, I hope it does. Hope it becomes more rock solid in the Word of God, rock solid in Christ. And don't let some false teacher ever ever persuade you off standing upon the truth of the Word of God.